Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. Welcome to another Altus Insight podcast thing. It's Friday night and Mark Inf decided we're not productive enough. So here comes a very enthusiastic review of the market and potential construction cost escalation in 2023. Thankfully, despite it being midnight up here in the Great White North, we have Ray back on the team. Now that the golf courses are closed up here and we're frozen, and the Floridians have had enough of him, he's back to his actual day job, which is being tortured by marketing folks. So the debate has come up a few times this year on the cost side. I'm Mr. Positive because construction cost increases are likely to temper versus the rampant increases over yonder year. And Ray has become all depressing, Mr. Doom and Gloom and general misery, end of the world on the cream market mode, i.e. like a NIMBY that just found out there's an as of right development that's been proposed four hours drive away from their house and they're going to round up the troops to fight it. How dare someone cast a shadow on a heritage dead squirrel? Today, we're going to meander aimlessly through the subject of the Ontario market and escalation as we wing it due to the unjust treatment that befell us this late morning from unnamed peeps in the great state of Texas. So we'll start off with Ray. Why so glum, champ? Throw out some words and wisdom on the end of 2022, and then we'll have a chat about 2023. Well, especially with the beginning of this year is as a as a carryover of what we experienced end of 2022 based on uh, possible recession fears how high will um, interest rates rise and as well as um, with um, with the office market with the return to the office whether or not um, um, we're going to see sort of a continued increase in uh, office vacancy rates and will people return back to the office? It, it, it's the investment side that we're not overly concerned only because the demand for investment property is still strong, but at what price, right? And the challenge we're dealing with right now is that that um, th- there's still demand, but the, there are sort of um, price discovery um, points that are still being argued between vendors and and buyers of what what is the appropriate price based on the interest rates, based on the slowing marketplace, and as well as less bidders on the market. So you, we've seen sort of a, a drastic drop of investment activity in the first half of the year compared to the second half of the year, and. The, so far, the January, February numbers are are dismal. It's not just Ontario, but it's across Canada. As as um, investors are are trying to figure out what their what their portfolio uh, strategy should be, and as well as um, the challenge with trying to find financing for some of the projects that lo- they're looking to acquire. So from from that perspective, it's sort of like a continuation from fourth quarter going into the first quarter with um, the amount of activity and as well as to a certain extent, um, the, 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 the uncertainty going forward for the first half of the year. Yeah, so I mean, that's where you come in all the doom and gloom. You see, you've got to flip it around. So I agree, last year started really kind of terrible. I mean, finished kind of terrible. Condo sales ground to a halt, so we were slightly less than the average over the last 10 years. This year's is probably going to be terrible. Rental projects, purpose-built rental make no sense because they're getting hammered by municipal fees. 
Um, office isn't going to get built because no one's actually in an office anymore. We're all locked at home. So realistically, yeah, if you look at that side of things, it's going to grind to a halt. But it depends which side of the market you look at. And you guys did the survey where 72% of people are going to put the projects in hold. Well, that means one third of the people are actively out there looking for opportunities. And now's the time when opportunities exist. So realistically, I think if you're in the market, you're not well healed, you're not well capitalized, there's major risk for you right now and you have to, you, you could get into trouble. The guys that got the cash, this could be the opportunity is. The way I've been sort of saying it is I see 2023 as the hangover year. So kind of like we've had a great run from like 2017 or earlier. Now we're in the hangover year. You know, a few people drank too much, probably got themselves in a little bit too much trouble. Now the people who are a bit more sensible, they're looking around going, oh, oh, I can pick up a deal. I can get some land here. I can get a project that's in trouble. I can pile it up a little bit because we know it's coming back. Next year, 2024, I'm calling the hair of the dog. Basically, grab yourself a scotch, hang on. It's still going to be interesting, but we'll see the fern signs of life. And then by 2025, I think the whole market comes up. So I think it's how you look at it. Short term, I agree. It's kind of doom, gloom. Rome is burning. But the midterm and long term for Canada and Ontario, they look kind of positive if you put a reverse spin in it. Now, that's the way I do my market presentations. Unfortunately, at the end of it, most people are like, not quite sure if that's positive or negative or what the hell you just said. But... It's taking a different view on how you see the market's going to play out. And I think, Ray, if we looked at it like that, and you took away all of the negative noise right now, all of that turbulence in the market, surely Ontario's going to look pretty rosy if you look at the immigration stuff. If you start thinking midterm, I, what does this look like in 2025, 2026, or even fast forward to 2030? Isn't this just two years of pain and suffering because of interest rates? Uh, is, is, is to, to a certain extent, and I, I totally agree with 25, 26, is it has to be better than what we're seeing right now. But it, it's immigration that's the only thing that's saving us in Ontario. That if you look at um, the interprovincial migration, that, that if it wasn't for immigration, uh, Ontario will actually be losing people. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's partly based on the affordability and, and the price was. So housing prices have dropped over the past nine months and to your point with new new um home sales that basically uh, there's only been maybe a few projects have been canceled but there's definitely been a delay in launches or a scaled back version of that and now we're starting to see um perhaps a couple other projects it it's it's all based on the interest rates on um yes it's it's high right now and typically the announcement today of um 150,000 jobs um, created is supposed to be good news. But again, what, what, what will that do to the Bank of Canada? And with, will we see increased um, interest rates? And from that perspective, those people that are hanging on, and the good thing is that you have full employment so that people can cover their mortgages. But how, how long can they keep hanging on before they run into some financial distress? It's the same thing with um, on the commercial side. You have a number of, um, of um, owners that ha are leveraged and they have to renegotiate. And depending on how long this, this interest rate um, um, heights will, will remain. And as well as, especially with the number of them that have number of investors that are asking, well, maybe now is the time to bail and be able to take their money and, and take their profit. Right. So there's that pressure as well from, 
from um, from sort of outside influences that are impacting some of the pricing points. That that there are some vendors that have to take pricing as their point. So to your point, the point of optimism, I get it, right? If you have your own, if you're self-capitalized, you're in a really good position in the investment market that you can pick and choose, and as well as negotiate heavy with uh, some of the, the product that, that's on in the market. Yeah, the, the other way I'm looking at it is right. Interest rates are terrible. They're probably going to go up a little bit. And we do know the central banks, both the US and Canada, their prime objective is to make as many people unemployed as humanly possible and hopefully cause a recession. Because they don't actually care. Because they get paid even if there is a recession or there isn't a recession. Realistically, success isn't measured for them what they do. It's measured by this obsession with a 2% inflation rate. But... Again, the way I'm starting to look at it is if things come down and you say there's pressures, but if you're well capitalized, there is no pressure. Why sell at the bottom? The only people that are probably going to get pressure are the people that have maybe overextended themselves and isn't necessarily a bad thing if people started deleveraging themselves a little bit, became a little more sensible and realized that what we've seen for the last five years isn't the norm, it's the anomaly. I mean, I was at a presentation the other day and the economist was presenting the same interest rates are never probably going below 3% ever again or in the in, in the near future. Therefore, get used to it. We're waiting for it to come down. It's going to trickle down. But everybody knows the Bank of Canada is not going to reduce any rates whatsoever until 2024, no matter what happens to the economy, because they only care about one thing, 2% inflation. They don't care what the impact is to the economy. They have no interest in it. Uh, it, 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 it it's the interest rates that um, you know. We, we I, I, I'm not sure how long we've been in this low interest rate. Um, and if you look at the the, the the activity in the investment market, especially in 2021 and the first part of 2022, people can can make certain bets. And because of the interest rates, they're okay, right? You can still make a bad bet with with other people's money or, or low financing, you can still do okay, right? But the challenge we're running into, like if, if you look at the, the industrial sector, right? It's it's, um, it's it's the most sought after investment asset. E-commerce is booming and, um, and you know, supply can't keep up with demand in the marketplace. And they've seen rents increase by about 20 or 30%. But over the last few years, what? It comes to a point whereby how, how high can rents go? And we're seeing, well, one of the positive is that, is that now you're seeing a lot more industrial development going to southwestern Ontario, going to Hamilton. Um, but how high can it go before you can, uh, that there's going to be pushback? And as well as on the returns, if you're buying something at, at negative leverage at three and a half, four percent and expect the rents to pull you out by going 20, 30% in the next two or three years, you have something else coming to you because it, 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 it might not happen. And to justify that price for that asset, I think people are, are definitely people that are providing financing are, are, um, are scrutinizing the numbers and the yields and the, and, and the growth more. But I think that's another cause of uh, a slowdown in investment activities, especially for the first half of this year. I just figured that's why they like using the phrase 30-year discounted cash flow. Now they don't have to worry about what happens till year 30. I mean, isn't that the new way to make stuff look like it works? I don't get positive cash flow or even break even till year 12. But by year 30, look at the money I'm making. 
That's a tongue-in-cheek joke that we've... You've probably heard it as well, Ray. A lot of people trying to make stuff work by looking out 30 years out. Well, I I know, and there's a lot of discussion about the yields, and and the whole thing is that some of these discussions are also coming up in the office front. And from the office front, you already see... It's it's, it's interesting with the GTA that... um, for the first time in a while, uh, office investment transaction was actually in um, number three behind industrial and behind land. And part of that um, uh, boom in um, investment activity is based on companies re-strategizing and, and especially the institutional players divesting themselves of office. And the biggest transaction that we saw last year was in January with the sale of the World Bank Plaza for over $1.16 billion, right? And, and it's, 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 it's part of sort of re, uh, strategizing, but if you look at where apartment um, came in for investment activity, and they're, they're, they're again, they're the most sought off uh, after product in along the same lines as industrial, they came in tied with retail, right? And it's not because the lack of demand, but the lack of product and as well as the price expectation from the vendors that are, are looking at pricing. So the, the good thing is that to, to a certain extent, investors are a little bit more careful and they're scrutinizing the assets more and they're not as quick as to throw money at it, especially with this whole... Uh, t- Target now for net uh, net zero for for carbon um, in um, in commercial properties. It's going to cost a lot more in what of capital investment and expenditures to get these buildings at a certain level going forward. So it's going to be some big costs coming uh, down the road um, for for commercial real estate. No, the federal government keeps saying, don't worry about going carbon zero. It's not going to impact. They're going to find everybody new jobs. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need the oil and gas sector. Everything will just take care of itself. They keep telling us that we need to trust them. These guys are fiscal geniuses. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. But <laughs> the thing is, with the net zero thing, it's not just... Uh, um, doing something positive in the marketplace, but I think it also will have uh, have a positive uh, certain impact on on returns and values of some of these assets going well, forward. I, yeah, I've heard places like New York are actually going to start penalizing you if you can't build bring your building up to that level. So it's not going to take long before someone up here notices that and goes, "That's a great idea, new revenue stream. Let's start finding people." Yeah, I think though that again, the way I look at it is. I still think it's short term, especially in Ontario in particular, because we've got a provincial government that to a degree has hung its entire hat on building more homes. We know that the federal government's hung its hat on immigration. I mean, McKinsey did an in-depth study and figured out that if your federal government spends like a drunk sailor, the only way to deal with it is increase population as much as humanly possible so you can actually pay for said drunken sailor actions. So you combine those two up together, and we have to build a lot more homes. We have to have a lot more immigration. Well, if population growth is going to accelerate, like wasn't it one of the highest years since Confederacy in terms of immigration last year? That's going to continue. The backlog of millions is there. Um, we keep getting our friends to the south of us, busting a bunch of new friends up to the border as well. So like everybody's coming from everywhere. So if you look at on that respect, if all of a sudden the conservative government in the province does not want to have their next election slogan of we built way less, 
they actually want to get a positive theme, they're going to have to start pushing that. So they're going to have to accept immigration, find a way to deal with the feds, build a lot more housing. And as we build more housing, that means we need more employment, which will then eventually sort out the office sector. We'll need more industrial. We'll need more retail. And shouldn't the whole thing turn into a cyclical thing where it all kind of may help itself out if you start fast forwarding over the next 10 years in different points as the population grows massively? You know, we we, we were um, in with um, with a with a client yesterday, and they were asking, "So, what is that indicator, or what type of change are you looking in the the vacancy rates or the rental rates for the market return?" Right, and our our whole thing was, you know, we we knew we we were more comfortable making that 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 comment, say two or three years ago, when things behaved normally. Right. So and, and things today are not behaving normally where the interest rates are. We're at almost full employment despite high inflation. So people are still spending and, and granted all the, the savings have been diminished and the lines of credit, I, I think, are, are steadily increasing. And depending on how long uh, the interest rates are at this level and and whether or not that this office deployment um, um, continues to increase, because I guess the only sector that we're hearing about mostly is, is the tech sector sort of scaling back. But again, it's also important to note that they're scaling back, but they're also at, um, at higher employment, especially with pre-pandemic. So yes, they're decreasing employment, but they're still um, at, at, at a certain level that was pre-pandemic. So you, you have seen that growth or maybe overzealous growth over the last little while. So it's even some of that negative news is, is, is on the positive side, but it's too soon. You know, and we've been saying this for, for a while now, but we're still waiting for a couple of other indicators to show a, a, a true trend on return to the office because the stats now are we're at 30, perhaps even I've heard 50% of people back into the office downtown. I, 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 I kind of laugh at the 50% because I still don't think it's, it's that high, but I, I, I do see increased people on public transit and um, and on the GO train. But the, the uh, but I people are, are slowly engaged and companies are finally realizing what they have to do to bring people in. But it's going to be a tough slug to bring people back in. People just don't want to do that three-hour commute anymore, right? And especially on a on a... Uh, perhaps on a hybrid, but not definitely not every day. So it's it's still the the trend is 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 going in the right direction. Perhaps maybe too slow, but we're still waiting for the outcome in those areas or what companies are going to do with their space. See, and it's interesting. We're having this discussion and presentation I did earlier on this week, and someone said to me, "Why don't you go back to the office full time?" And I actually said, "It's not just the commute." The problem is, is downtown Toronto is an utter mess. They're digging it up everywhere. You can't get anywhere. The city isn't taking care of business anymore. The place is messy. It's dirty. So I think part of the problem we have actually isn't necessarily also just attracting people downtown. I think the municipalities have let stuff slip over the last years. And I think Toronto is a great example of a city that's just fallen from being I think really great into somewhat of looking in a decline and it just doesn't create a nice atmosphere. But like I was downtown this week, two or three days, I think it was, it was great. Went out for dinner, loved the restaurant and nice and stuff. Unfortunately, you then have to walk to your next place, you know, climbing over traffic cones, trying to not get run over by construction vehicles. And then realizing they've dug up the same street 16 times in the last five years. But that aside, 
there's got to be a positiveness. And I look at this in the relativeness. So you've said the doom and the gloom and stuff like that. But the way I kind of look at the market is it's all like these interconnected bubbles. So no matter how you look at the market, they're interconnected bubbles and they all tie in. So a developer's got a set of bubbles, set of projects, properties they own, that ties into the next guy. And each one acts differently and there's influences. So it's just a matter of time, isn't it, before the market? And that's what I meant by it just settles down that I think you know, you start to see this work from home, the hybrid settle down. We know our office ourselves. We have shrunk the amount of office space we've gone. We've gone from what? Three floors, well, bits of three floors back to just one full floor. We've renovated it. You go in some days and the place is pretty full. Like I was in on Wednesday and Thursday this week, it was pretty full or it was filling up again. So I think there's some positive signs. Will it go back to before? No, but I don't think people should be thinking it's gone back to before. And now it's time to start looking forward. And I think the population growth, we have no choice to do it, otherwise the country's dead in the water. So they have no choice. They've made a huge mistake on the amount of money they've spent over the last eight years, and they have no choice. So that has good situations, bad situations. They're not going to let us use the oil and gas sector to get out of trouble, which would probably do it like that, because obviously that looks bad on TV. So we got to slog it out instead. So as we slog it out, I still think commercial real estate is likely in the mid and long term, it's going to be the place to be. And I get your, what you're saying. We don't know when that midterm is going to hit. And that's the question is how long is short in this terms where things can positive? Like, like, like I said in the outset, construction costs are going to level off. The next two years, there's opportunities. So it's positive, but it's positive because there's a negative. And there's a couple of negatives and two negatives always make a positive. And all of those negatives just happen to come together and create a positive. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at the market is, yeah, there's a bunch of negatives, but how do we find the positives in the market? But that's people right, need somewhere yeah, I, to live. I agree with you on uh, on timing. Uh, it's going to take a little while to, to sort out on on the commercial side with uh, with the interest rates and um, and you know companies are still repositioning their 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 assets. And again, there's demands for investors and expectations on, on growth. And I think that the commercial market will will write itself, but be it six months or be it twelve months. Again, the overall investment uh, demand is there. But at what price and and um, what uh, what are the growth assumptions and you know what are the expenses that are occurring? So, but going forward, I think every deal is going to be scrutinized a lot more compared to you know, eighteen months ago. You mean it's and, actually going to be scrutinized? And and I think that's part of the challenge, right? Because. There, I think there are certain people in place right now that have never been through a slowdown or a high interest rate environment. And there's there are one getting educated and two trying to figure out what this actually means for the assets going forward. So I think I, I totally agree. I think that's gonna be eventually sorted out. And the same thing on the construction side. Like I see the guard, the 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 street on Wellington has been sort of um in front of our building, has has been under construction, it seems like for the last 10 years. But now you have open lanes. And started to get positive. So actually, I actually see a positive in the, in the downtown with some of the projects actually finishing up. And compared to when we're right in the pandemic, I think construction activity, we're starting to see perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm feeling a little bit more positive about, about the, 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 the downtown compared to a few months ago. 
Yeah, that's why I look at it. You know what? It's going to get bumpy a little bit. But, uh, you know, bumpy's, bumpy might not be a bad thing. I think it shakes everyone up. It gets rid of some of the complacency that I think has started to really badly sneak into the business. Um, and whether that's good or bad or whether or not it's just been such a good run, I, I, I found generally people were always like, ah, it'll all work itself out. And I think now people are kind of going, well, maybe it won't work itself out. I should look at this twice, think about it before I jump in with both feet. And that, I don't think that's necessarily a bad place to go because I genuinely think this is going to go absolutely crazy in the midterm. As the number of people flood into the country, we have no choice but to address it. And that's the thing that I think we were already at that point before we started with the higher levels of immigration. And now we've paid so much money to a consultant from the US to tell us that bringing more people is the solution to everything. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, the thing is, I, I think you and I are a little bit too focused on Toronto. Like it's Toronto, is the challenge is, is sometimes that three-hour commute and going forward based on on um, more people working at home, that if you add this many people, you know, it's not the same impact on the office run. But you, when you look at Ottawa, that you have your 20 minute, half an hour commute, I think you're going to see a lot more quicker stability. You're not seeing a lot of new supply. So when you look at the office vacancy rate, it's actually flat compared to Toronto actually going up at about 200 basis points from quarter to quarter. Right. And Southwest Ontario is the same thing with housing affordability and the universities um, that I think there's employment and, um, you know, uh, research and, and, and definitely tech development. And same thing with Hamilton, St. Catharines. I still think there's further growth and the number of people that have relocated there over the last five years or have started their own sort of companies and, and, and created employment in that area. So I think, the, the benefit to this is that we're going to see um, the outlying areas outside the GTA grow li- perhaps a little bit um, quicker than the, the Toronto market going forward. Yeah, we we actually had a joke on Wednesday with uh, the gentleman you were with on the, uh, the panel today, and he was like, what's the solution to the housing problem? And I said, look, tongue-in-cheek, build a new city, completely new city, with none of the councillors allowed in until we finished it. And that would be the solution. Get as many people as possible out of the city of Toronto and this God complex that exists in Toronto that's the greatest place on the planet of the earth and no one can do anything long. And it is a great city, I'm not saying that, but holy smokes, they just don't like change. (laughs) This is where the problem is. There needs to be a systemic change to get housing and they don't want it. So I did that tongue in cheek. I'm like, let's just go build a new city. Five million people, let's start now. Let's just start building it. I guarantee you we'd get it finished a hell of a lot quicker. You know, the economics would be a bit more complicated. But the Saudi Arabians just went, let's build a big city. So why can't Canadians do it too? Because we have regulations. Yeah, we just need to get rid of those. That's why you build a new city that's unregulated. Yeah. And then you hand it over afterwards. And then the, the bureaucrats can go in and wreck the place. See, so we ended on a positive note. I think I thought you were very positive at the end of that. So I think the conclusion from both of us, it's going to be bumpy in the short term. We don't know how long short term is, but we think in 2025, 2026, then midterm is likely to look positive. But right now it's hard to see 100% what that looks like. Long term, it might sort us off. That's the conclusion I'm taking from this. The other conclusion I've got is that marketing are generally soulless individuals that make us work at this time of night and do these podcasts. And then before the podcast, tell us the best podcasts we have are the ones where me and you aren't actually on it. 
which really inspired us to greatness today. Um, we are talking about some fun new podcasts coming up. We actually have a list of about 20 subjects, but one of the ones we're coming on today was um, having the alters have a discussion with chat GPT live on what we they think the market's going to do, what happens with construction costs and seeing how close they're going to be uh, to the alters prediction. So we may have a little bit of fun with that one in the future just to change stuff up a little bit. That was Johannes's idea, the guy that tortures us right now. So it sounds like it could be fun. Everyone seems to be playing with it online and posting it. So why don't we see what happens when we stick three alters people versus an AI in a room? Let's see what, um, well, I use the term real intelligence versus artificial intelligence looks like, but we'll see how that goes. So thanks very much, Ray. It's nice to see you back again. Thanks. We haven't done one in a while and uh, look forward to the next podcast. Cheers. Yeah. Bye.